see you guys. Happy Mother's Day. Let's hear a big hand clap for our moms. We love our moms here in New City. I'm thankful for moms, the way you guys love us, the way you give us warm hugs as kids and give us so much wisdom and take good care of us and make us eat our green beans and all that wonderful stuff, the tough love that moms have. Uh, so I don't know about you guys, my mom had tough love. It was like, uh, Vince, you cannot go out with your friends unless you clean your room. That was about the extent of my mom's tough love, but it was very different from my father's tough love. Because I, uh, I took karate with my dad, um, one of those male bonding things, you know, karate, and we'd be running around the room, and I'd get like a cramp in my side, and he'd say, Vince, toughen up, be mentally tough, mind over matter, right? And I'm like, Dad, I can't run. He's like, do some knuckle push-ups then, right? That was my dad, seriously. Pain is weakness leaving the body. That was my father. And, um, yeah, so a, a little bit of a different kind of a love there between moms and dads. So we love, we love our moms here. Actually, I'll add this because Ramiro and I were talking about this earlier this week. So uh, my father, I grew up, became a dad. And my wife, by the way, is an amazing mom. I'm super thankful for her. Our kids are turning out halfway decent totally because of her. <laughs> and, uh, no, they're, they're turning out great. And um, we, uh, I was on this flight with my dad, transatlantic flight coming back from the Holy Land. And um, my dad's six foot seven, 300 and none of your business pounds, huge guy sitting in coach, which that, that's a little cramped for a big dude like that. And he starts having back pain and he goes, Vince, my back's hurting. And I was like, oh, sorry, dad, you want me to rub it or something? Like, he's like, no, it's like somebody's got a knife right in my back. And I was like, Dad, mind over matter. <laughs> Be mentally tough. Pain is weakness leaving the body. He was passing a kidney stone on a transatlantic flight. I had no idea. <laughs> Worst son ever. <laughs> Gave him a little taste of his own medicine. But how many of you guys know that love, love is, um, love is a beautiful thing, but love sometimes need to be, needs to be tough. Sometimes we need to be challenged. Right? We need to be nurtured, we need to be loved, we need to be invited in, but we also need to be challenged. Otherwise, we would never grow, we would never change. I remember um, we had a friend, uh, Nancy and I, who was going through some tough times, and we let her crash over at our house while uh, she was between jobs, and all of a sudden, things started getting really bad. Have you ever seen somebody's life just start to kind of spiral out of control? And it, was, it was really tough watching it happen. She started abusing um, alcohol and then, then drugs, and she wouldn't get a job, wouldn't even go out and look for it. And so, you know, she's staying at our house, so you have to start enforcing a little bit of tough love. And it's so difficult because you really care about this person. You don't want to hurt the relationship, but at the same time, you care more about them than you care about the relationship even at times, right? Because you love them more than you love yourself. And so we had to do something called an intervention. Has everybody ever been part of an intervention? It's, it's, it's not easy, is it? It's really difficult to give an intervention, but it's, I'm sure it's difficult on the other side, too, to have somebody sit you down and say, hey, listen, your life is, is messy. Your life is spiraling out of control. We love you enough to tell you that if these things don't change, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be bad for you, and we want to help. And um, I remember sitting there in that space and having that girl just look at us with disbelief in pure denial, like, things aren't that bad. What are you talking about? 
I'm fine. I don't need you guys. You know what? Maybe it's better if I leave. It was so heartbreaking to go through a moment like that. Tough love is not always easy. And God loves us, right? We say that all the time. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. God loves you. But it's not always a soft love, is it? It's not always just a pat you on the back at a boy. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I do some foolish things and I need God to confront me with some tough love. And that's exactly what we see happen in this text today in John chapter 8. We see some people who are in denial and delusional. And just to be honest, they are deceived and trying to live in this really comfortable state. And Jesus loves them enough to venture into this difficult conversation with them. He's willing to risk it. He's willing to walk up to them and say, look, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And so we're going to jump into this. It's uh, John chapter 8 where we left off last week. And I want to invite you on this journey today because perhaps as you read this text, you might catch a glimpse of yourself in their responses. The, the fear, the, the pride, the denial. And I want to challenge you today not to write this off. Not to say, yeah, this, this scripture, you know, so, I wish so-and-so was here because they really need to hear this, right? Not to point fingers, not to say this doesn't apply to me. Because that is the horror of this text. That's exactly what this text says not to do as we read this text, okay? Because we all have blind spots, amen? Sometimes we need people who love us to point those out and to help us. So um, if you will, join with me in John chapter 8, verse 30. And I promise you it'll be worth it if you, if you are brave enough to venture into the place of looking into your own heart here. Because what Jesus has to offer is better than anything else you might hold on to. As he says in this passage, he who the son sets free is free indeed. Jesus wants you to be free and he loves you enough to help you work, uh, work that out in your life. So three points today, invitation, challenge, and hope. Let's start with the invitation. And instead of just reading the passage all at once, we're going to work through it. Verse 30, as Jesus was saying these things, many people believed on him. Just to catch up real quick from last week, Jesus came out and said, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will never be in darkness, but will have the light of life. And they spend the rest of that passage arguing with him till they're red in the face. But finally, at the very end, some people believe on him. So now Jesus turns his attention from the whole crowd to those that believe on him. And now he's talking to them, okay? Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So Jesus clarifies something here. He says, hey, a lot of people believe on me, but not everybody's my disciple. Those who abide in my word, those who obey my teaching, those who allow the gospel to shape their lives, they are truly my disciples. And who's he telling this to? He's telling this to believers, people who've believed on him. And just, just a quick point, that's why a new city, we focus so much on discipling, making disciples. That's what Jesus did, right? He wasn't so focused on just getting people to give their life and sign on a dotted line and say a prayer. He was focused on making what? Disciples. Yeah, that's, that's it. And so there's a big difference between believers, who we might, today we might call those converts. You guys heard that term? I had a conversion. 
I'm a convert. So there's a big difference between a convert and a disciple. Converts believe in Jesus, but disciples follow Jesus. Converts hear the word of God. Disciples allow the word of God to shape their entire lives. Right? Converts cheer from the sidelines. Disciples get in the game. Converts go to church. Disciples are the church. You, you guys, you tracking? There's a big difference, right? Jesus, Jesus says, the last, the last thing he says to people, he says, right before he ascends, go into the whole world and make converts. Right? No, what's he say? Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a new identity. Teaching them to what? Obey. Obey all that I've commanded you. So converts may believe, but, but disciples believe and obey, don't they? And Jesus is standing here in this passage, and he's talking to those who've already believed. Verse 32, and he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And I love this. You will know the truth. And the truth will what? Amen. We don't like to think of ourselves as people who believe lies, right? I don't like to think of myself as a gullible person. I remember as a kid, there was a guy that took advantage of me and one of my friends. We went down to the store, and he had a big wad of cash, and he told us if we gave him our $20 bill, put it with his wad of cash, we could have the whole wad of cash and hold it for him until he got back because he had to go see some cops about something, and he wasn't sure if he was going to be in jail. And so we took his money with our money in our brown paper bag and ran back home. We were so excited because hopefully this guy got caught by the cops and we would have like $1,000. And we opened it up and it was newspaper clippings. It was sleight of hand. The guy was a magician, man, and he totally jacked our $20. It sucked. I hate to see myself through that lens, right? I'm probably a much more suspicious person today because of that happening when I was 12 years old. We don't like to believe that we are people who believe lies. But what Jesus says here is profound. He says this. This is a point up on the screen. Our biggest struggles are the lies we believe. Our biggest issues in life, the biggest issues in our walk with God are the lies we believe. And that, that issue gets complicated, doesn't it? Because half the time when we're believing lies, we're not aware that we're believing lies. And so when somebody comes to us and says, hey, man, you might be, be, be believing a lie here, we're like, ah, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if I agree with you. And, and this has been happening since the beginning, hasn't it? You remember in the beginning of Scripture, the first humans, Adam and Eve, they're placed in a garden, and, and God tells them, here's a tree. All the other trees in the garden, you're free to eat. Have at it. Go for it. But this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't touch it, right? And it seems, it seems to me like things were a lot easier back then. I feel like now in life we're wandering through a forest of all the wrong trees, just looking for that one right decision to make. You guys know what I'm saying? But back then there's this one tree that they're not supposed to touch, and the serpent comes to him, and what's he say? <laughs> yeah, touch it. He says... Has God really said? Has God really said that? He causes them to doubt, causes them to question. He deceives them. A grid that we use here at New City a lot for that kind of deceiving or, or for, for the true belief that we need to have about God is the four G's. You guys, some of you familiar with the four G's about God? God is good. God is gracious. God is glorious. And God is great. So you think about that, right? Think about what 
the serpent was trying to get them to believe. He says, hey, guys, God's not really good. He's holding out on you. There's something you really want, some happiness. You need to go get it, right? God's not really great. He's not really, he's not really in control. You should be in control of your own lives. Be in control of your destiny. He's not really glorious because if you eat that fruit, he knows you'll be as God's, right? So he's getting them to doubt the very nature of God. He's whispering a lie in their ear, and he's getting them to totally turn our eyes away from the Father. And, and it hasn't changed. His tricks are the same. The next point is lies are what Satan uses to blind our hearts and turn our eyes away from the Father. Let me ask you guys this. Let's, I've got a few points here, but instead I'm going to turn it into dialogue. What are some of the lies that people get used to believing? What are some lies maybe, not you, of course, but other people, maybe in their life as you've looked on, you've seen them believing lies and starting to live, live out of those lies? What might be some? Marco. The sun orbiting around the earth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one, right? The sun orbited around the earth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we take our version of mercy and we plaster it on God. And we, yeah, and we say, God would never do this. God would never judge somebody. God wouldn't even give him tough love. He's just so soft and nice. He's kind of like a hippie Jesus, long flowy hair, you know, and a flower in his ear. That's Jesus. That's my Jesus. Or you could do the, what is it? Um, I like to envision my Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt. which says I'm formal, but I like to party too. We all have our versions of Jesus. Yeah? Good. What else? Where are some other lies people might believe? Yeah, Katra. Oh, that if we sin, he'll turn his back on us. I'm done with you. Yeah. You gave your life to me. You got baptized. Why would you sin again? You're supposed to be perfect now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Matt. Mm. Yeah, we need to continually fight for our approval and find our approval because we're not approved enough by the Father. So I'm searching for approval in you guys. I'm searching for approval in myself, in my accomplishment. Yeah, good. What else? Anybody else? Susan. Yeah, yeah. God, have you changed your mind about me, God? You used to, like, always take care of me, but right now I don't feel like you're taking care of me very well. Why are you holding that on me? Good. God would never let you suffer, right? Yeah. So good. And, and these lies, they lead to types of bondage, don't they? They lead us to the kind of bondage where we're slaves to our calendars and our bank accounts because success is what's driving us. Or we're slaves to the impulses that we have for pleasure or approval, like Matt was saying. Well, we get into this workspace mentality. When I do something well, I swell up with pride. I wrap my identity around it. I'm the man. And then when I screw up, I'm crushed under it because it's all about me. It's all about my performance and what I do. We become slaves to our perception of who we are, who we want to be. And it's like life becomes less and less free. And we get more and more used to walking around in chains. 
And slavery becomes something that's just, it's home for us. We become slaves in our heart. And that's the bad news. The bad news is that the lies have made us slaves in our heart. But the good news is, what Jesus says here in this passage, the truth will what? Set you free. This is Jesus' invitation to them. He's inviting them into life. He's inviting them away from bondage and into sonship. As they allow the word of God to shape their life, they will know the truth. The truth will set them free. This is a journey he's inviting them into, an adventure. It's that moment when Morpheus holds out to Neo in the Matrix the red pill and the blue pill and says, do you want to go back to just living in light of the lies you've believed your whole life? Or do you want the truth? Are you ready to live in reality the way things actually are? Right? That's, that's what's going on here. What an amazing invitation. Let's look at their response. Verse 33. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham. We have never been slaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They're like, what? Then we'll become free? We are free. What are you talking about? We're children from Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. You can see how delusional they are, right? If you just think about that, because this is where it all starts going downhill. They're in denial. And the truth is, I don't think any of us like getting confronted with truth when we're comfortable living in a lie. None of us like it. But, but listen to their delusion. We've never been slaves. Really? What was up with that whole 400 years in Egypt thing? What about the 70 years in Babylon when you were led away in captivity? Right now, the Romans are holding you captive in your own land. Are you sure that you've never been enslaved to anyone? Right? And then, but their posture is pride, rooted in their heritage, in their race. Like, Abraham was our father. We are Abraham's children. As if they're somehow immune from needing anything from God. They've already arrived. They've already got it all figured out. Have you ever read Israel's history? The history of the children of Abraham? Like, when they're freed from Egypt in slavery... And they get over to Sinai, and they're given the word of God on stone tablets, the law. They're led through the Red Sea. What do they do within a few days? Like dancing and partying around a golden calf? And it, like that's, that's, that's not even bad compared to some of the stuff that starts happening, right? Because they just want to worship these false gods. They blend into the culture around them. They don't listen to God. In fact, when he sends prophets, they kill them. They even start sacrificing their own children as human sacrifices to the god Moloch. Like these are people who are not acting at all like children of Abraham. But they've found some kind of pride in it. In fact, they've taken the grace of God. That is the only thing that defines them. And they've taken that and turned it into like trophies on their mantle. And like, look how cool we are. Look how amazing we are. And it's like, no, it's all of grace. You didn't earn any of that. There's no sense of pride that you have to hold on to. They're delusional. And they can't just look at their heritage and they can't just look at these things and feel like they're better because they're not better than anyone. Yet, in this moment, because their perspective is skewed, because their minds are closed off to what Jesus is offering, they are not ready to receive. Why? They already feel like they have enough. They don't want Jesus... We already have Abraham, right? They aren't ready to change their life because they feel like they've already arrived. They refuse Jesus' invitation to follow because they're comfortable where they're at. 
and they're rejecting the truth because they're steeped in lies. And that's the same kind of thing we do. And I could go there right now, but I think we all know in our own ways, in our own life, that's something we do every day. If we didn't, we'd be perfect, wouldn't we? We'd be perfect. But we often sin, we often struggle with debilitating negative emotions and bitterness and anger toward people. Why? Because we believe lies. And those lies are the things that are shaping our life instead of the word of God, instead of the word of the gospel. So what's Jesus going to do with these guys? Well, he changes his approach from invitation to the point number two, challenge. He's going to challenge them. Moms, maybe some of you can relate to this with your kids, you know. Come on. You're like coaxing them, you know, putting the carrot out in front of them. Just eat your veggies. That's what my mom did with me. She would do anything she could to try to reward me to eat my vegetables. And finally, it wasn't happening, so she pulled the whip out, right? So Jesus is going to challenge these guys. And he does the job of any preacher to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So it's time for tough love. Verse 34, Jesus answered them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus is saying, look at the fruit of your lives. You sin because you're in bondage to sin. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need a savior. But I know you're not. You know you're not. Right? And he's pulling on that same logic he does earlier in the chapter. Just a quick aside. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery at the beginning of chapter 8? And the men bring her to Jesus, and they all got stone in their hands, and they're ready, and they say, hey, so what would you do to this woman? What's he say to them? You remember? He who is without sin cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, stones are just dropping out of hands, and feet are shuffling away shyly. As the only man who stands there without sin who could condemn her, says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Right? Jesus uses that same logic with these guys because he knows what I think all of us know is that deep inside we all know we're broken. We all know we need a Savior. We all know that we've sinned. And so he says in that same rationale, he who's without sin, right? Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. Question, who's the son? Who's the son that he's talking about in this verse? Himself, right? He's talking about himself. And he says, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Listen, you're slaves right now, but I want to set you free. And there's only one that can set you free. Another slave can't set you free. Can it, if you're a slave in a house, can another slave walk up to you and just grant you freedom? Be free. Like, is that how it works? No. No. Okay, let me ask you this. If you're a broken person in sin, can another person in sin come and just set you free from sin? No way. No. Could another philosophy made by humans who are broken in sin be the thing that sets you free? No, who's the one that can set you free? The sinless one, the son who's never been a slave to sin. And that's what Jesus is saying. I can set you free. And if I set you free, you will be free indeed. There's no question of it. Verse 37, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham. I love that. Jesus is like, seriously, guys? Who do you think I am standing here talking? I know, I know you're Jewish. I'm not a complete idiot, right? Verse 37, you're, you're, you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Verse 38, 
I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. So he's saying, guys, we're on different pages here. I say what I've heard from my father. You're doing what you've heard from your father. We got different daddies. That's what he's saying, okay? So there's a mom joke there. It's kind of like a mom joke. Yep, that's it. That's kind of like a your mom joke in that culture. Your mama so, well, we won't go there today. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, verse 38. <laughs> well, so far, let's just recap real quick. What's he done? He's invited them into life and freedom from slavery to being sons and daughters. And they've rejected it and said, we don't need you. We don't want what you have to offer. So now he's challenging them because he loves them, right? That's what's going on here. How will they respond? 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus is like, yeah, but you're not really acting like him. Like, if Abraham's your dad, you're not, you don't look at all like him. You're not acting at all like your dad, if that's true. Watch. 39, and Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who's told you the truth I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did, right? So what, what did Abraham do? Abraham listened to the words of God, didn't he? Jesus says they're not letting his words find a place in them. Abraham trusted in the words of God. He let those words shape his life. He left everything to follow God, not even knowing where he went. But they don't trust Jesus. They're not letting his words shape their life, set them free. They don't want to follow. They don't even want to recognize where they actually are in this moment. They're standing knee deep in denial is where they are. Abraham welcomed heavenly visitors when they visited him, but you're rejecting me, the one who's come from heaven. You're not acting at all like Abraham's kids. Verse 41, they said to him, this is where it gets heated. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So now they're getting cold-blooded and personal, right? They're like, hey, man, look, at least we have our moms and dads because we heard about you. You know, your mama was pregnant before she even got married, Word is around town, Joseph's not the dad. I mean, come on, at least we're legitimate. They're trying to find moral high ground. They're trying to find some way that they can look down on Jesus. Why? They don't want to receive what he says. They want to be able to reject him. Do you see the scrambling to prove themselves? Have you guys ever done something like that? When somebody's challenged you with truth, you try to find some moral high ground to stand on so you can look down at them and say, ah, you don't, you don't get to talk to me like that. I know what you did, right? That's, that's kind of what's going on here. 42, Jesus says to them patiently, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? I'll tell you. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. So, all right, guys. God is my father, and if he were your father, we'd be on the same page. But you're rejecting what I have to say I'm coming to you in love, and you're rejecting me. Why? You can't bear to hear my word, and here's why. Verse 44, the verse of the day. You are of your father, the devil. Boom. There it is. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> How many of you mothers have said that to your children when they were acting like their father? I'm, that's a bad joke. But he, Jesus is comfortable telling somebody that they resemble the devil. You remember the time when Peter, in Luke 15, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's like, hey, who do men say that I am? And they're like, oh, some say you're Elijah, some say the prophet. 
He says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what's Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. I'm going to change your name to Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what do you think Peter felt like in that moment? That's right. Yeah. About time I got some recognition around here, right? Feeling really good about himself. Three verses later, check it out. Jesus is talking about suffering and the cross. And Peter says, with his newfound confidence, far be it from you, Lord. We're not going to let you go and, and die on the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't want the works of God. And it's like, whoa, Jesus. You just like built this guy up and now you called him Satan. That's crazy. Right? But Jesus does this thing regularly where he'll invite people in. He'll love them well. He'll build them up. He'll, he'll point out all the good that God is doing in their life. He'll invite them into life. But then guess what? Sometimes he has to give them a hard word, give them some tough love. He has to challenge them because they're off. And the only way he's going to help them grow is by what? Some tough love. Can I get an amen? And that's, that's what's going on in this passage. Verse 44. You're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Anybody remember the church lady with Dana Carvey? I feel like that's what's going on. He's like, hmm, you remind me of somebody. It's not Abraham. It's not God. Hmm. Could it be Satan? You know? <laughs> but here they are, seriously, and here's why. Jesus says, you, you want to kill me, verse 44, he, speaking of Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. He robbed Adam and Eve of eternal life. He's a murderer. And Jesus says to him, you can't stand the truth in Satan. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, his own native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a lying liar who lies. And you know who you're acting like right now? Satan. Because you're believing lies. He has you in slavery. If you would just receive my truth, you could be set free. But you don't want to hear the truth, and that's why you don't believe me. And then he wraps it up here, last two verses, 45. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Like if I was lying, you'd probably be more comfortable with that because you guys are liars. But 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? But if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And I know this seems like really tough love. That's why the sermon is called Tough Love, right? And Jesus is really going in on these guys. And they're like, dude, these guys just started following him. They just became believers. And here you are questioning their identity, telling them that they're delusional, they're in denial, that they're deceived, that they're slaves to the lies they believe, that they're murderers and liars and sons of the devil. That's an intense conversation. What happened, Jesus? I'll tell you what happened. This is love. This is love. Jesus is gently inviting them to be his disciples. And when they reject him, he loves them enough to step into the awkwardness of that and to challenge them to challenge the lies they're believing. Why? He loves them. He loves them enough. It's an intervention is what's going on. Jesus is willing to speak the truth in love, to wake them up, 
to show them the reality that they're living in. Why? For them. Don't misread this. This is not Jesus and the other kids on the playground saying, my dad can beat up your dad. This isn't Jesus trying to adjust himself to get their approval. In fact, it's the opposite. He knows in doing this, he's going to get their disapproval. But he doesn't care. He cares more about their soul. He cares more about their life. He loves them. That's tough love. And today is sort of an intervention. I mean, every Sunday, in a sense, when we come around and hear the word of God, when the word of truth collides with the lies that we might be believing, every Sunday is a type of intervention. Same thing happens regularly when we meet together in our gospel community or, or when you break open your Bible to read CBR or just read whatever your Bible passage is for the day. Wherever Jesus shows up, there's moments of intervention. There's invitation, and when we're resistant in our hearts, there's challenge. Because Jesus isn't willing for you and I to go on living like slaves when he's purchased our sonship. He's invited us to be sons. He loves you today. Do you believe Jesus wants you to experience that freedom? Do you believe that he wants to move you from being a slave to a son and daughter? From living in lies to believing the truth? From living in bondage to pure freedom? That is what Jesus wants for you today. So my questions are, as we start to wrap up, can you, can you be honest with yourself today? Can you see your need for him? Will you allow the denial and the delusion and the deception to keep you bound as a slave, or will you let his truth set you free into life as a son or daughter of the king? And the question is how? How do we do that? Okay, I'm in. I've seen some areas in my life where I'm living like lies are binding me up. I'm I'm living more like a slave than a son or daughter. But how? Jesus gives us a key. Back in John chapter 1, verse 12. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who do receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, the gospel says that you're no longer someone who just works in the house for God. You've been adopted. He accepts you completely. Do you believe God has an amazing plan for your life and that he's going to provide everything you need to carry out the plan of God for your life? He's, he's your dad. You're his kid. He loves you. You're set free. The gospel says that Jesus Christ, the son of God, died on our behalf to fulfill all the requirements of the law, to destroy death, to pay the penalty of sin and death. Jesus was separated from his father, so that you could be invited in as a son or daughter. Jesus was bound to a cross so that you could be set free. Jesus was killed so you could have life. He bore our guilt. He bore our shame. He bore our condemnation, every penalty of sin. And now, today, in these kinds of moments, in these tough love moments where God comes in and says, I want to set you free, you can face the truth. You can be honest with yourself. I'm going to pray for us as we all stand. And then we're going to come down and take communion. I invite you to pray with me quietly. Father, we thank you so much that you weren't content to let us keep going on living bound to lies and broken in life. Thank you that we don't have to lie to ourselves to cope. 
to see our, our life through rose-colored glasses and try to imagine like everything is, is all together and hide behind our perfect Facebook pages. But we can be honest because your goodness is enough for us. Your righteousness clothes us and doesn't leave us naked and out in the cold. If you freed us, as this passage says, we are free indeed, and nothing can change that. Thank you so much. Thank you that we don't have to keep running to momentary fixes to numb our pain or to give us some sense of life, but that we're free to trust your plans. We're free to believe you're a good father, that you love us, that you love to give good gifts to your children. Thank you that I'm free to trust that the most important powerful being in the universe loves me and is pleased with me in Christ. I'm your kid. You love to watch us play. You, you actually like us. It frees me from needing to leave, live for other people's approval or hiding from their displeasure. Thank you that we don't have to try to control everything in our life because we can't anyway. It's a lie that we believe, but we're free to trust your control, your timing, your methods, your plan. We're completely free today if we are in you. Why? Because of the gospel. Thank you so much for purchasing our freedom with your own blood. Help us to believe that today. Help us to let the truth of the gospel set us free from the lies that drive and bind our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.